Tonight's episode is dedicated to the life and legacy of Freda O'Cran. Freda was a nurse to her patients, but a regal member of her household in the Bronx and in Ghana. The 51-year-old, after her hospital shifts, would ring the doorbell to her own home so her children could carry her bags. Don't you know I'm the queen, she would tell her two boys and daughter? The queen did her job. Ral, I'm going to give that one to you again. I'm sorry. Frida O'Cran. No. Tonight's episode is dedicated to the life and legacy of Frida O'Cran. Frida was a nurse to her patients, but a regal member of her household in the Bronx and in Ghana. After a hospital shift, the 51-year-old would ring the doorbell to her own home so her children would carry in her bags. Don't you know I'm the queen? She would tell her two boys and daughters. The queen did her job. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, he, she, them, or they, and all who may fall in between. Welcome back to another evening of Quarantine Nightly. I'm your host, Mouse Jones. Tonight is Tuesday, May the 12th, and I have a super special guest joining me on the couch this evening. Tonight, I have tech anthropologist and entrepreneur, Alex Wolf. Before we jump into the news, I have to send a huge thank you to my amazing writing staff who always holds me down. Uh, shout out to just Latasha and Dez. Shout out to my creative and design team. Shout out to Che Mills and LeVan Wright. And shout out to my amazing, extraordinary engineer, Rel. And what is a hero without his theme song? I don't know. I don't ever want to know. Shout out to Call Me Bari of callmebari.com. Now, let's jump into the news from my ghetto point of view. EMT and aspiring nurse Brianna Taylor was fatally shot eight times in her home on March 13th when officers entered her home unannounced to serve a search warrant as part of a narcotics investigation. The officers fired shots after her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, shot an officer under the false assumption the home was being broken into. Neither Brianna or Kenneth were the original subjects the officers were looking for. Rob Egert, who is defendant Walker, said he inspected the apartment building and found evidence of 20 gunshots fired, some of which entered other apartments. During the gunfire, Taylor was struck at least eight times and died. We're having an issue where law enforcement are not abiding by the laws they enforce. There were no body cameras. There were no police announcement upon entry, no confirmation of landing the correct home and targeting their intended suspects and using a shoot to kill method as a solution. How can we protect ourselves from the threat as black people when we're treated as disposable casualties of police missteps? And who do we rely on when the police are the danger? Moving on, Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr on Monday tapped a new lead prosecutor in the murder case of Ahmaud Arbery. Joyette Holmes, district attorney and the first black woman to serve in that position, is taking over the case following a video of the shooting that went viral after it was posted online last week. After the position was tried by four others, they did what they should have did from the beginning. Got a black woman to do it correctly. She has a professional side swoop bang. Understand this. Not just any bang. A professional side swoop bang. So I know everybody going against her, they're going to lose. No, but what I truly am excited to see, I, I can't wait to see her, yeah, but mm, no face when the lawyer tries to convince her that his client wasn't in the wrong. Keeping on. William Roddy Bryan, the man behind the video of the Ahmad Arbery shooting, 
tells CNN's Chris Cuomo during a live interview that he hopes the tape brings justice and peace to the family. When asked questions about why he was on the scene and if he had any connections to the murders or law enforcement, he remained silent on air. His lawyer tried to prove his innocence by getting us to believe he's worthless. <laughs> Strange tactic, right? Uh, but when it comes to white on white crime, eh, it just might work. Willie has a 360 bang. I don't know if you guys understand. He has a 360 bang all the way around. The last time any person who has this haircut succeeded, it was the guy who bagged Darla at the He-Man Woman Haters Club. Now, understand this. His lawyer passionately explained that William Bryan has no friends in the courthouse and that no one cares if he lives or dies. That would now make William Bryan the nigger of white people. Lastly, in an interview on Good Morning America, presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden pushed back on President Donald Trump's claim that anyone in America who wants to be tested for COVID-19 has the ability to do so. He said, the truth, is, the truth is the truth, George. Anyone can't get tested around the country. He knew about the crisis all the way back in January and February. He's been incompetent in the way he responded. Just for shits and giggles, let's take a trip down memory lane. Uh, remember when Trump, who had no government experience, ran for president and won? Or, or remember when he assaulted various women, including allegedly a child, and people were like, Eh. Remember when he was aware of the oncoming virus since January and he went back to just securing his wig? Remember when we tried to impeach the president and absolutely nothing happened? Remember way back like uh, yesterday when he went out amongst people without a mask against medical experts orders and vouched to reopen the economy with no vaccine or proof that the virus was slowing down? Uh, remember Obama's tan suit? That was a catastrophe moving on to sports there are none there's no fans there's no sports uh but in entertainment last week rapper snoop dogg humiliated his long-suffering wife shante brodis after drawing attention from notorious groupie selena powell who put him on blast for cheating shante laughs off her plight with a meme about relationship advice she posted don't ask me for relationship advice. I took the nigga back 81 times. Well, you know the saying, laugh now, cry later. I'm pretty sure she cried her ass to sleep when the group chat sent her screenshots of the DM Snoop Dogg sent to the groupie. Uh, I mean, there, there's always the, the phrase, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me 81 times, maybe I'm just a damn fool. Uh, Snoop is just, it, it, to me, it looks like Snoop is just trying to put up the same amount of points as his hero, Kobe. Shantae must have been wearing a Raptors jersey. I mean, I get it. I, I, I do feel bad. I absolutely do feel bad, though. Uh, but you, you got to learn. You can't teach an old Snoop Dogg new tricks because he's just going to fuck them. Lastly, in entertainment, Jay-Z and Meek Mill are sending 10 million surgical masks to U.S. jails and prisons. With a $10 million boost from Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, Jay-Z and Meek Mill's criminal justice organization, Reform Alliance, is sending 10 million surgical masks and other personal protective equipment to correctional facilities across the country. This is 2.3 million Americans that don't usually have the loudest voice, Bob Pilon, president of the Reform Alliance, told CBS News. That's why we're doing this, to give the population a voice and answer their call to be treated like humans. Dorsey's donation was made through his Smart Small Relief Fund. He's pledged $1 billion to COVID-19 relief efforts. That charity is based on a transparent tracker of public grants, which Dorsey said will shift focus after the pandemic. Meek Mill is doing everything he can to help inmates, whether it's helping them get released or making sure they're wearing the proper safety gear during this pandemic. 
I notice inmates pray for times like this so they can wear safe masks like that and not cheap prison masks like this. I hope white people want to jump on this hip-hop trend of saving lives as much as they want to say nigga. It, it, it's truly a beautiful thing to see. Jay-Z went from a dope dealer to a hope dealer. I, for one, love to see it. Moving on, weather. Tomorrow's forecast is cool, mostly sunny with partly cloudy skies. Summer let us see the three dots, but never sent a text. That was it for the news and my ghetto point of view. Ladies and gentlemen, understand something. I need you guys to stop what you're doing. Go subscribe, go comment, and then rate. Okay, five-star rating. Leave a comment right now. Don't matter what you're doing. Leave a comment and subscribe. Don't keep listening for free, even though you're going to listen for free anyway. Subscribe, okay? We want to see that you fuck with us the way we fuck with y'all, okay? Um, remember, if there's a story that I didn't cover or you think the community needs to be uh, kept abreast on, make sure you email me at quarantinenightly at gmail.com. That's quarantinenightly at gmail.com before 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time so I can read it on air. Um, now, we're going to take a quick break. Go pay some bills, and when we come back, I will be sitting with tech anthropologist and entrepreneur, Alex Wolf. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, he, she, them, and they. Welcome back to another episode of Quarantine Nightly. I am your host, Mouse Jones, and like I told you in the beginning of the show, I will be joined by a super special guest. Tonight, kicking it on the couch, we have tech anthropologist and entrepreneur, Alex Wolf. Alex, what's going on? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, listen, you wrote, uh, you, you, you had put a post up after the first failed Teddy Riley and Babyface battle. And, and mm-hmm. you, you had highlighted just some problems with tech that I guess older generations are running into. Um, mm-hmm. how do we get them over the hump? Well, I think it's first by being sensitive to understanding why older people don't know how to navigate the newer technologies, because I felt like a lot of people were sharing frustrations about how Teddy Riley should have known better, this, this, and that. And it's important to... So it seems that the spirit of Teddy Riley was actually in here. He didn't want, he wanted to mess up what we had going on, <laughs> but no Teddy Riley formed against us shall prosper. Um, so I'm going to ask you, like I said, um, the, the post you had put on Instagram, um, regarding older, the older generation and tech. Um, and I asked you, like, how do we get them over the hump? Whoa. Okay. Can you define over the hump? Do you mean, how do we get them to learn how to use stuff like IG live? Yes. How did, how, like the simple things that I guess our generation, um, uses daily. And I mean, even to an extent, so do they, but I guess the, it's the intricacies of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that it starts again with being sensitive to why it might be difficult for them to learn something that comes so simple to us. Because, I mean, the real answer is obviously sitting down and teaching them and having patience the same way I'm sure a lot of, you know, the listeners have done with their parents and their grandparents, teaching them how to send email or use a smartphone and stuff like that. And if you've had that experience, you know that it takes a lot of patience. But you also can experience how when you're teaching that they are comprehending the technology in a completely different way because they grew up with different types of it. So my whole thing is not pressuring folks so much to 
you know, go over the hump or just, or I guess expect them to know how to do that on their own, but kind of see it as a generational responsibility to keep them educated about how to use new technology. Hmm. Do you think that there's a, a space for, I guess, tech specifically for that older generation? Do I think there's a, a use for it? Yeah, like a, a space where like th- we'll see more, not w- if we will, because I don't know if anybody's doing it, but do you think there's a space to make tech um, like specifically for the older generation, like maybe something with like simple interfaces and things like that? Yeah, it's funny because there already are a bunch of existing resources. Like, you know, if you think about how much money a company like Microsoft or Apple put into their customer service, their tech support, most of that is being spent and used for older people who are having a hard time navigating their technology. So again, it's like, I feel like we have resources out there, um, but it's also a lot of information to expect people to keep up with. Because my whole thing, what I was trying to communicate about that post was, we are going to be Teddy Riley in the next 10 to 20 years. We're going to be sort of outcasted and kind of made fun of because we're not going to know how to use the next version of IG Live, whatever that will be, you know? So that's why it's just kind of like, yes, we can put systems in place that educate older people, but we should also just be sensitive to the fact that we're asking a lot out of all of us by keeping up with a lot of sort of minuscule technology. Mm. Do you, so, so why do you feel like we may be Teddy Riley one day? Because I, I like our generation, because I feel like every piece of tech or app that comes out, like we kind of figure it out. Like even when it comes to TikTok, right? Like I, I think most people mm-hmm. believe that TikTok is for the, the kids, but the old right. people our age have learned to use it and know the interface and things of that nature and are, are using it to, you know, build the income as well. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, it's not, I don't think it's impossible for millennials to learn new skills, but as far as shifting cultural norms and creating trends, we adopted most of the social media we're using today at the same age, the TikTokers are adopting that platform, right? Mm. So first of all, to to adopt a social media platform, who's going to make it responsible for being big is teenagers and young adults. We're past that life stage now. And we and enough time and history has shown that once you pass a certain life stage, once you start going into more of the mature part of adulthood, um, and not, you know, sort of your adolescence and young adulthood, then you're less likely to change. You're more resistant to new technology. Um, I do agree that some people have adopted TikTok and, you know, without any friction, but you also have to admit there's a bunch of people who are not excited about the pressure they're feeling to learn a new platform. Mm. Wow. So, yeah. What could have, and I guess this will be the last part, last point on this one on um, what could have uh well, yeah what could have teddy what could have ted am i saying it right what could teddy riley have done um to avoid to that prevent. debacle well there's a lot that people don't know to the story so i don't know if you saw but he was he put on the whole show and he had a multiple setup 
a camera set up in his home studio and was streaming it from his website. Um, and I point that out because it's, this also shows another generational gap between millennials and old school folks, especially folks who've been through the music industry and kind of know the sharpiness of it and understand the importance of ownership and um, intellectual property. So his priority was not so much about making something lit on IG Live. Mm -hmm. His priority was putting on a good show for his fans on his platform Mm. in a very kind of title-like way, right? So part of why there was so much technical malfunctions, if you look at the footage that he was streaming on his website, it's crystal clear. Like I said, there's camera shots and angles coming in every direction. Like it was a whole production that I know they must have put days, if not weeks of preparation to put in place. The IG Live, I don't think was the number one priority. If he, but for, for the audience, it was, right? So we're all looking at it like, why is this not, you know, it's so simple. Just why you have this whole setup? Why can't you just, you know, put your phone by the speaker and call it a day or put your headphones on or whatever? But it's again, we're, we're not thinking like him. He's thinking in a very different way, which has to do with how he was brought up. And, um, I guess what could have prevented the technical malfunction was, was him having IG Live be the priority, but it wasn't. His priority was his own intellectual property and his, you know, his platforms. Mm. All right. Uh, let's get into it. Now, what is tech anthropology? Yeah. Tech anthropology is the study of how technology impacts relationships within a society. So how it impacts our politics, our economics and our relationships. So that's what I focus on and Mm. make content about. So then how did you get into it and, and, you know, create the space for yourself that you have? Yeah. So I my dad is in technology. So I grew up with a lot of tech influence from him. I always had the new gadgets. I had the internet before a lot of kids had the internet. Um, and so this, the computer was sort of like my sibling. It was my source of entertainment, of education. And I grew familiar with it before it was a way of life. I was still, I was on the internet when it was still a hobby, right? And when I turned 21, I started my first internet company. And a lot of it came from, a lot of the success from it came from Instagram. And, um, you know, it grew to be viral. We had a bunch of followers up to the millions. And during that process, I'm a young woman. I'm like 21, 22. I have my own insecurities, my own problems. And of course, Instagram is changing the nature of culture right before my eyes. And I feel like I have somewhat of a stake in it because I'm growing this account that's really big, right? Mm -hmm. And that was before there was a lot of big accounts. That was before there was a lot of brands on Instagram. So... It just really gave me a front row seat in addition to just growing up with technology in my home, being sensitive to how different, you know, software and hardware changes the world. I started to see how much the millennial generation in particular was being impacted by the way social media um, was designed. I noticed how events were changing and I noticed how uh, conversations were changing. I noticed how relationships friendships and romantic relationships, all these things were starting to be heavily, heavily impacted by iMessage, by DMs, by Instagram. And I I realized that 
you know, we were kind of, we're kind of like fish in water. We can't really tell we're in water, but the water was really obvious to me. And I'm like, yo, is anybody seeing this? So what my work is about is highlighting how these little really everyday things that are normalized that we've sort of just adopted so rapidly. I talk about how we haven't really taken a breath since MySpace or Skonex, right? Mm. Like we just adopt a platform, adopt a platform. And I feel like we haven't really taken a step back and looked at how the hell did we even get here? You know, like I described the experience, like I feel like I looked down on my iPhone and I looked back up and 10 years passed, you know, <laughs> like my first iPhone, I looked down, looked back up and like my whole young adult life has passed by. And I feel like many millennials are experiencing that. And since we're coming out of that life stage of your early 20s, where you have more range to be kind of carefree and dumb and you don't really get to feel the grip of life. Um, I think we're going to experience a sharper sort of turbulence coming into this other life stage of uh, maturity of adulthood. And we're going to see how trivial and how influential a lot of our technology has been and how it's impaired a lot of our ability to communicate and have strong communities. So that's how I got into this work because and I think a big part of it, too, was my when my grandmother passed away, it, you know, it was my first react, like uh, close death, first of all. And it was my first really wake up call of, right. of mortality. I'm like, oh, shit, we die. Like, you know, if you're not really seeing that, you don't understand it until it happens. And then once you see your mortality, then you have then you're looking at your life from a whole different perspective. So. Hmm. Now you said, um, you said just because technology can be, can be cheaper, faster, or productively more efficient, does that mean it gives life more meaning? And I, I constantly see through your posts, you're, you, you have these correlations between life's meaning and technology and how they don't typically correlate, how there should be a, right. a, a separation. Can you just dive into that a little bit? Yeah, so American culture is very technophiliac, which means we're obsessed with technology. We adopt first and then ask questions later. It took 60 years before, or it took 60 years after the car was invented to invent the seatbelt, right? Mm. So we know how to get in that driver's seat and be like, wow, this is really fun. And it'll take us, you know, 60 to 60 years to a century before we start building safe cars, right? And so I look at mobile internet in a very similar way where we got on this internet and we just kind of drove really fast without a seatbelt, without understanding how it was going to change the nature of our politics, what it means to have a president tweet all day long, right? Like those are things that we weren't considering and it's because we were blindly adopting the technology. So it's important the way you, if you're going to live in such a technologically dense society, then how you filter or decide what's worth bringing in should be a priority, right? Because you see how much one thing can affect so much else, but it doesn't seem like we have a process other than will it make money? Will it be more convenient, right? Um, those are sort of the metrics that we use or the spectrum that we use to decide if a technology should enter our community and our society, but not what do we lose? Right. What what kind of customs do we lose? What skills do we lose? What techniques do we lose? Because we're losing a lot. We're losing our ability to communicate. Um, depression and loneliness has gone up and has a direct correlation to increased use of social media. 
Um, so I, I think, yeah, I'm just trying to get people to see how what technology they're interacting with might be responsible for the lack of purpose they feel in their lives because the technology wasn't really designed for you to feel purpose to begin with. Mm. Why are you so deep? You're just so deep. Just Yeah, I'm a deep person. <laughs> so what do you see the, I mean, obviously it's tech, it's, it's ever growing, but like, what do you see or how do you see tech being, um, whether positive or negatively affected by this pandemic? Well, I mean, honestly, I see an optimistic sort of perspective as far as, first of all, the whole myth was that millennials don't like socializing and we don't like interacting with each other. But now we're seeing how much we do value that. Um, And I'm also, you know, pointing out how much if we think this is hell now with Netflix and Twitter and Instagram, what if we didn't have the Internet? What if we didn't have a way to have quick, cheap telecommunications and we were dealing with this pandemic without it? So I actually think right now the Internet's getting its shine. A lot of technology is getting its shine. Um, of course, it's not innocent, right? Like there's still a lot of fake news and stuff like that. But I mean, the whole point, my, my argument has never been techno- technology is all good or all bad, but it's just how important it is to be sensitive to how it's affecting you. So again, I think that, uh, right now we're actually starting to value and, and appreciate it more. Now you said, um, it was believed or that was like the running myth. Um, that millennials don't like socializing with each other, but you know, there are, there, there is a group of, I guess, millennials that do, I, I don't want to use this space to, to attack anyone, but you know, the, the internet people, that's what we kind of call them where they're very vocal mm-hmm. and social on the internet, but then weird or even introverted in person. Yeah. Where does that, how does that show itself or how does that, um, core, how does those two opposites correlate in, in one person? Well, the way that the internet was introduced to us was in an alternative world and it invited this opportunity to create a new identity. And so for a lot of people, especially millennials, that's what we did. We said, okay, if I can be anyone I want to be, and I can take pictures and use captions that create a perception of myself. Um, I can get really good at that. And a lot of us did. But all I think what happened is people invested so much time in cultivating an Internet personality that they didn't cultivate what how to translate that into in-person skills, because it takes two different um skill sets. And another kind of controversial example, perfect example of this is pornography and sex. Mm. Um, I study, there's a, a researcher called Gary Wilson who has a lot of um, research done called Your Brain on Porn. And he talks about the negative effects of high-speed internet porn on the brain and how it's actually causing a lot of um, early erectile dysfunction for teenage boys and young adults. Wow. And yeah, it's really fascinating stuff. And it falls in my line of work as far as it being a type of it's technology that's responsible for this type of super normal stimulation is what it's called. So what they're finding is that men who have only used porn, and that's not just men, it's women too, who have only used high speed internet porn to feel sexual pleasure 
their brains aren't registering real sex as a source of sexual stimulation because it's different, right? Um, you know, usually porn is a vicarious kind of, um, you know, situation where you're looking right, at right, people. Right. It's not the same as actually being with the person. And so a lot of our, our brains have, um, literally formed into thinking, okay, if I'm having this social interaction on the internet, um, then my brain and my body is interpreting it as socialization or socializing so that when you get in person and you realize you can't apply the same double tap or comment, right? You actually have to like look into people's eyes and have body language um, and speak sort of on the spot. Those are different skills. But again, your body and your brain has interpreted it as, okay, we're getting the fundamental social interaction, you know, because the, the body has a few basic um needs um and, and socializing is one of them so it's interesting to see how technology has impacted all of those because when we think about our basic needs they are socializing their sex shelter and food and all of these things have been impacted by um just te- what i would say blind technophilia and for our food for example when we started to get more educated on gmos and mm-hmm. Um, highly engineered food, all of that happened because we had more and more science and technology coming into our food and making it less and less organic. So, again, um, you know, I forget which question was, but <laughs> the thing is that uh, technology impacts all of these like very crucial touch points for our or for our life. Well, I mean, oh yeah, you asked me about the double life. Yeah, that's what you asked me about. Yeah, but um, no. What I was, I'm floored. Like I didn't even know tech went this deep. Um, I mean, we could sit here and talk for like another hour. Um, but I, I, I want to thank you so much for um, you know, get, giving me some time today. Appreciate you coming, mm-hmm. stopping by the couch. Please tell the people how they could support or follow anything else you have going on. Yeah. Um. So you can go to my Instagram at Alex Wolf. And my Twitter is Alex Wolf Co. Thank you so much, Alex Wolf. Thank you. Um, and I'm I need to come up with some type of tech so you could uh, show me what to do with it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank I'll you. Make it a plan. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Thank you, Alex, for pulling up and kicking it with us on the couch. Make sure you guys support, support, support everything that young lady has going on. Um, shout out to my amazing team. Just one more time. Shout out to my amazing writers. Shout out to just Latasha. Shout out to Dez. Shout out to my amazing, amazing, amazing design team and creative team. Shout out to Che Mills and LeVan Wright. Shout out to the engineer extraordinaire. Shout out to Rel. And what is a hero without a theme song? I never want to find out. Shout out to Call Me Bari of callmebari.com. If you have questions you'd like to submit or current events you think I should talk about, have them email before 1 p.m. to quarantinightly at gmail.com in order to get them right on air. Remember, that's quarantinightly at gmail.com before 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, and all major streaming podcast platforms. I want to shout out and thank my sponsors, Spotify and Anchor. Make sure you guys subscribe, rate, leave a comment right now. Leave a comment right now, right? Like right now. Make sure you, you leave the comment right now. No matter what time, what, I don't care what you're doing. Leave the comment right now. Um, and before I get out of here, as always, it's time for the benediction. 
Boosie Badass is in headlines again today due to more ignorance and terrible takes. Uh, he continues to misgender Zaya Wade, that's D. Wade and Gabrielle Union's trans daughter, who uses she and her pronouns, and even more, pleased to D. Wade to not, and I quote, cut his dick off. This is the same man who, for his 14-year-old son's birthday, hired a sex worker to perform oral sex on him. Let me just say something, and I'm going to say it plain. Boosie Badass is much too concerned with children's penises. How can a child be ready for a sexual experience he didn't ask for, something you imposed on him, but too young to let you know what their identity is? Also, when we speak of trans experiences, why do cisgender conversations go right to their genitals? What's wrong with y'all? Like, no, really, what's wrong with y'all? Boosie said a child of Zaya's age couldn't possibly be sure of her gender because children have no idea what their next meal or sneakers are. That makes sense. Last time I checked, Zaya's eating good and is dressing exactly how she wants with the love and protection of her parents. Meanwhile, child molestation is happening right in your home, Boosie. Don't worry about Zaya's sneakers when you're having a hard time choosing whether or not to go to jail, do wrong by women, sell drugs to your community, or why threaten and murder them. Between you and Zaya, only one of y'all has a good head on your shoulders, and it's not the man with the fade. Let's be real. Black men. We need to discuss our ties to the cultural definition of masculinity and ask ourselves if we'll ever be able to exist outside of the confines of how we were told to perform manhood. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, he, she, them, or they, and all who may fall in between. My name is Mouse Jones. This is Quarantine Nightly. And I ask of you what I ask every week. Please pray for me as I pray for you. Mm-hmm.